Mr. Chief Justice. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. Our opinion next turns to the problem of what the judicial role should be. I talked with an immigration attorney two weeks ago, so this is like fresh off the presses. Because of the changes that have happened in recent policy, immigration attorneys are leaving the field, and it's often the best ones. Listeners, we just got back from the Law and Society Association Conference in Toronto, a conference that brings together legal scholars, advocates, practicing lawyers, sociologists, and in our case, journalists. This is the type of conference with panels like Conjugal Slavery in War, Sociolegal Research on Abduction for Forced Marriage in West and Central African Conflicts. And I mentioned that panel in particular because it was presented in part by Annie Bunting of York University and researcher Teddy Atim of Kampala, Uganda. We had the honor of working with them on our four-part series on Uganda, which we published in January. We also did a panel together called Building Partnerships. Here are a few people we got to speak with at the conference, starting with Life of the Law contributor Laura Beth Nielsen. Two states in the United States have yes-means-yes laws, and it's California and New York, which means on college campuses, every escalation of a sexual activity has to be verbally consented to, whereas other universities still have sort of a version of no-means-no, which is a very old standard, and then there was sort of the Obama-era standard, which was active, ongoing, affirmative consent. And so you have three different policies, and at all of those schools, undergraduates are having sex. So I'm interviewing students and asking them about the consent process during sex and if they're thinking about the policies at all. From a law and society perspective, it's really about does this policy that's on paper, you know, does that actually change behavior in the most intimate thing that you do? My name is Ayo Lanianu. PhD. I do research on the relationship between gentrification and policing, and so I explore how, as communities like in the Bay Area or New York City or even in Toronto, experience gentrification uh, or undergo the process of gentrification, policing in those areas adapts to comport itself with the sort of aesthetic preferences that gentrifiers prefer. On one level, when you have uh, different groups of people occupying uh, the same sort of space, right, from different backgrounds, different preferences, you're naturally going to have conflict, which we might expect the police to adjudicate. But in the same sort of pattern where you kind of saw uh, that white woman in Oakland calling the police on the black barbecuers, that white woman at Yale calling the police on the African-American woman sleeping in the public space, you know, there's an argument there and there's an empirical set of findings there that would suggest that uh, the police are strategically mobilized and intentionally mobilized, right, to kind of make these areas suitable for gentrification and for a certain class of people. I'm Jeff Dudas from the University of Connecticut. There's really one kind of tradition that holds together different kinds of conservatives and has held them together over the course of 60 years or so. What united them was a very particular understanding of what it means to be a citizen and how it is that good citizens are formed. So formation has a lot to do with family dynamics and with growing up properly, or according to this vision of, of proper family relations, to becoming responsible sons and daughters, particularly sons, who can then step out into the public sphere and be trusted to govern. 
layered within the very sort of fabric of conservative belief is a sense that certain people should be powerful and others have to learn how to become responsible citizens. So there is a logic of hierarchy built into the fabric itself that's widely shared. While at the LSA conference, we were also conducting interviews for our next episode. Here's a clip from our conversation with former Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of Texas, Wallace B. Jefferson, and legal ethics professor Renee Knocki. We have the best legal system in the world in some respects. The problem is that for some of the most important civil needs in our country, the need for housing or the need for relationships with our children or the desire to get out of a violent marriage, those kinds of cases are practically unaffordable to the average citizen and they don't know where to turn to get competent representation. Most students will go through public school and get some basic civics and they'll, they'll learn how a bill becomes a law and, and they might learn about the three branches of government, but they aren't learning what questions should you ask when you're looking for a lawyer. That's next on Life of the Law. We hope you'll join us for that episode two weeks from now. We had a great time at LSA, the annual conference bringing together legal scholars from all over the world, and look forward to being back next year. We wanted to give a special thank you to everyone who took the time out of their schedules to answer questions in their areas of expertise, and to everyone who contributed ideas and suggestions at our pitch panels and our listening station. Lastly, we'd like to remind listeners that we are funded largely by you. We count on you for your support. Our productions require a lot of research and time. We couldn't make this happen without you. To contribute, go to lifeofthelaw.org. Click on support in the upper right-hand corner of our website. You can make a one-time donation or a monthly recurring donation, any amount you want. $5 a month goes a really long ways. Anything you contribute goes directly towards the cost of productions so that we can continue to bring stories that you want to hear. We encourage you to reach out to us if you have a story idea you would like to hear or any suggestions or feedback. You can email us at connect at lifeofthelaw.org. I am Life of the Law's senior producer, Tony Gannon. Thank you for listening. <laughs>